Well, we've been looking this past few Sundays at uh, King David and the thought of him as a role model for the church and for believers. You know, his life revealed, reveals aspects of Christ that we don't even see in the New Testament because we're seeing his heart and his response to God and in the Psalms and, and the prophetic flow uh, that we see in, in his Psalms. He shows us how to relate to Jesus as well. Shows us how we can follow him. And there are some definitive things we can know about David. And one of the things we considered last week that was that David was a shepherd. And he started off as a shepherd, as a young boy taking care of, of his sheep. He learned what it was like to take care of them. But also in that, he realized he was a sheep in the flock of, of the, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. But something else we see clearly in his life, in fact, it's the very next phase of his life. Right after he was a shepherd, not really during it, he, he changed over to a new phase uh, because at a young age, he had to fight some battles. And even as he was a shepherd, he had to fight. He had to fight off the lion and the bear to save the little lambs from being taken. But then, as a young boy, he had to take his sling and stone and fight the enemy of the Lord. He fought Goliath in that field of battle in the Valley of Ella, where he got the five smooth stones and defeated the enemy. And so, little did Goliath know that a little shepherd boy was about to defeat him because he came in the name of the Lord. And so I, I kind of wanted to look at David in that thought as he's a role model because he was a shepherd, but also he was a warrior. David the warrior. He had to fight the battles to protect his sheep against the lion and the bear. And when he came facing Goliath, he had already had a few battles that he'd won. He'd learned that God is with him as he fought his battles, as he went um, in, with God. And that's why he would, David was able to respond to Goliath in, in 1 Samuel 17, 45. He says to Goliath, you're coming at me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I'm coming with something way more powerful than that. And Goliath's sword and shield and javelin were really big. They would probably have been intimidating to see him. But he had something greater that he trusted and believed in. It said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And that is where David's true power was found. He knew he was in a much stronger position than Goliath, even though in the natural, Goliath was just towering over him and had all the weapons and everything he needed but Goliath had a, a weakness. It was a really big weakness. He was not just threatening the people of God, he was insulting the people of God and the God of Israel, and that just opened him up to defeat. But David came in the name of the Lord, and that opened him up to victory. And there's a lot we could talk about with you know, becoming a warrior and fighting the battles of God and could talk about spiritual warfare. 
Um, you know, we could talk about David and how he got his strategies from heaven. You know, how he was led by the Lord. Um, he didn't just go out and attack his enemies. Sometimes as Christians, we think we need to do that. Well, let's just go, you know, fight spiritual battles. Just go out and attack the enemy and get cast them out and rebuke them and so forth. Uh, but sometimes that can just stir up the enemy and get us into trouble. David, he always came to the Lord and said, Lord, how do you want to do it? How do you want to fight today? How do you want me to move? And God would give him that divine battle plan. And we can read about that in different parts of his life. But there was one thing about that concept of being a warrior that was really quickened to me. Um, Because I was thinking about all those dynamics of, of fighting in the natural and the spiritual. But really, it comes down to one purpose. One thing that, that really is the end result of fighting battles and being a warrior. And it's something the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And he talks about fighting. He talks about the armor of God. And David had his natural armor. Well, he, he did later on. He did have armor. You know, he didn't just go without armor all the time. But he, he had his armor and his sword and so forth. Uh, and so if David had it in the natural, we need it in the spiritual, as Paul's bringing out. We have to be equipped to fight spiritual battles against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. We're seeing that today. But it's all for one purpose. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians six thirteen. He said, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, having done everything, our, real, our end goal, our purpose is to stand. Is to be in the place God has called us to be and just to be able to stand and hold our ground in that place. That's what it comes down to. Is to, be, is to say, Lord, where do you want me to be? And be planted there and not be moved. To be able to stand. That's the whole purpose of fighting battles and and overcoming the enemy. Well, sometimes God says, okay, go stand over there. And to get there, you have to fight, a, fight an enemy. And get, but then God's purpose is stand there. Don't be moved. Stay in that place. And so that's what God has called us to do, is to stand in the place he has for us. And, you know, the Tuckers have, have been uh, staying with my parents and uh, they all went to Bible school together, so we we're sitting around the table and they're rem- reminiscing about different stories and and everything and people they knew in, a, in the past and and you know the, part of it is expressing amazement at at some people they knew in the past who had such potential, uh, such opportunity, such gifts, but there was a problem. They didn't continue to stand in the place God had ordained for them. They didn't remain there. And it was sad, you know, hearing them talk about, oh, they, they're not standing there anymore. They're, or at least they, they didn't continue in the way God directed them. And so instead they went into other pathways that God hadn't ordained for them. And so one of the most important things in the Christian life is the ability to stand, to withstand the forces that try to move us out of our appointed place and to to hold on to it, to lay hold upon the Lord, 
and stand in that. And, and so there's three areas I want us to consider in that. There's probably many things that you can think of that would empower us and enable us to stand, you know, the anointing and so forth. But there's three things that were quickened to me about this. How can we be those who are warriors who can stand in the place God has given us? The first thing I want to consider is the ability to stand in the word of God or stand with the word. And this will aid us very much in having done all to stand. You know, we have to be able to stand in the word of God and upon the power of his word, it being both our foundation, but also the weapon that we use to fight our battles. And his word is described in Hebrews as a two-edged sword that we fight our battles with. It's, it's the weapon we are to use. And in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's a, that's a lot packed into that verse of what the word of God can do, is Right? The soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, it can get the bone out. It can leave us the good meat. Uh, it can discern what's going on in our heart or in other people's hearts when we're using the word of God and holding on to that. That's, that's a pretty powerful statement. But the thing that kind of comes to me is, is it's, it's a weapon. It's how we fight. If something is not clear... Lord, I need your word. I need your word to bring clarity. And once we get that, we, we hold on to that and we don't let go. And if something is opposing us, Lord, well, the word of the Lord was this, and I'm holding on to that. And that just separates anything that tries to come against us. You know, sometimes people try to reason. Uh, I, I know that's happened probably to you and, and to us. And we've had times where people try to reason about situations and they say, well, you should do this. You know, this person feels this, that, and the other, and you can't make them feel, feel bad or this. Uh, and you know what the instant response that kind of dissipates everything? Well, God spoke to me. This is what I have to do. That just ends it. That ends the discussion. God's word says this, and I can't do anything else. And we have to hold on to that. It's when people let go of that and start to say, well, I know the Bible says this, but, you know, society is thinking this way and I don't want to offend people. And, well, you get into trouble that way. You start to lose ground and you start to be moved. The only way we're going to stop the enemy from overwhelming us is through his word, through hearing his still small voice, recognizing him speaking to us, Reading, listening, even through sermons. God speaks to us. Even I need to listen to sermons and Lord speak to me. We need his word. And then we've got to hold on to it and use it. I was thinking of, of two of David's mighty men that are a good example to us. Uh, they are named Eleazar and Shama, And they were two mighty men who fought for David. Maybe they were started off as, as the description was kind of disgruntled, right? Not happy, you know, kind of complaining. And they joined David there and that seemed like a sad group, but somehow they got transformed 
into mighty men. And they, were, they knew how to stand. They knew how to fight, even if they were alone. And let's read this. And there's a few verses we can read about them. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse 9, it says, One of David's men was Eleazar, and he was one of the three mighty men of David. And when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away, he rose up, Eleazar rose up, he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, but his hand clave unto his sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him to the spoil. That was Eleazar. And then he had an associate named Shammah. In verse 11, it says, And after him Shammah, the son of Agi. It says the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. And, but he stood in the midst of that ground. He stood in that field, and he defended it, and he slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Those are some good examples of warriors there. And they, were, and they were just two men in David's army. And so you have this one named Eliezer. He faced the Philistines. He stood to fight when everyone else fled. He wasn't afraid to stand alone with his sword, which is an example for us. You know, we don't have to stand alone in the natural in that sense of fighting, but in the spiritual with the word of God and in his kingdom, we have to be prepared to stand alone, sometimes in our family, sometimes in our, in our, you know, in the church at large because people believe different things or whatever, but we hold on to the word of God. And sometimes we feel very much alone, but we're not. There's a host with us, as, as the prophet said to his servant. There's more with us than is against us. And notice something it says, his hand clave to his sword. He didn't let go of it until the work was done, and he had to swing that so much that his hand was weary, but it still held on. I kind of have a, an idea, a picture of him as when it's done, it's like almost had to peel his fingers back. To It was so locked on to that sword. And, you know, Shama performed a similar exploit, except this time it was a ground full of lentils. Everyone else fled, but he stood his ground, and he wasn't moved out of it. He defeated his enemies, and he obtained a fruitful field because of it. And so you could, you could say with these two men, their lives show us that need to hold on to our sword, to the word of God, and to stand. And having done all, enduring the difficulties, swinging it when it needs to be swung, and def- and dividing what needs to be divided and removed through the word of God against the pressure. You know, the only thing that's going to keep us and allow us to overcome is a firm grip on his word. If it loosens up, we're in trouble. Even through difficulty. I I always remember a teaching sister Bailey gave, you know, Brian Bailey's wife and, uh, it was a, a time when she was going through a, an intense suffering because of something in her body. And, and I remember her saying that, that there was a time when she would walk around all day with a piece of paper in her hand 
And in that, on that piece of paper was a verse written that God had quickened to her. And whenever she was discouraged or she was having difficulty, she'd open her hand and she'd read that, that verse and it would strengthen her and encourage her. And then she'd go on. And then after a while, would come back. She had to look again. And she said she, she just held on to that all day long for a season. And that's, that's a very practical illustration of needing to hold on to the Word of God. That was a, a, you know, kind of an intense situation. God won't lead us through that necessarily, but there will be times when we will have to hold on to His Word. And maybe you do need to write it down so you can read it a lot. You know, have a, have a, uh, have a reminder come up on your phone every day. Oh, yes, I need that. I need that Word. Whatever it takes to hold on to the Word of God so that we can obtain victory and then cause us to inherit a fruitful field. Another aspect, the second aspect of standing, and we kind of implied it in the previous meaning, um, or the previous point was, but once you've received the word, the only way to receive victory is by obeying that word, is following it, listening to the voice of the Lord. That's the only way we can get victory. In James 4 and verse 7, we like the second part. Resist that devil and he'll flee. Oh, but what's, what's the first part say? <laughs> That's really where it's found. Submit yourselves to God. Then you can resist the devil and he, he flees. He can't stand before those who are submitted to God. But in order to resist and to overcome, there's that requirement to submit that's where the true power comes from. And that's an important truth here. We can have the armor. We can even develop strength to fight from past experiences. But it is all nothing unless we learn to stand in obedience to what God is speaking today. You know, I think about King Saul. And when you compared King Saul to that young shepherd boy, you would say, well, King Saul looks more kingly, right? I mean, in the description of him, even when he was first chosen to be king, said he was head and shoulders above the rest. He was a tall, strapping young man. And even as he became king, he was anointed. He was mightily anointed so that when people said, he's not the same person, he's like a different man. He had the anointing on him. And he had the promises. God promised his kingdom would endure if he followed and obeyed him. But, unfortunately, that's a, or you could say that it, it had some ifs, right? Some qualifications. The big one was he had to obey God and stand in obedience to his word. And, of course, we know, unfortunately, he did not obey. Well, he obeyed, but it wasn't God. He obeyed what the people wanted him to do, what the, the world wanted him to do, so to speak, uh, instead of what God wanted him. But that caused him not to be able to stand in the day. What can cause us to learn to stand in obedience? Well, in reality, it's, it's many situations where God speaks and we learn to say, yes, Lord, your servant hears you. Yes, Lord, I'm listening. And sometimes we have to cry out, Lord, help me to obey. Give me grace to obey. But he does that. Even Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
had to learn and submit to this process. Hebrews 5 and verse 8, Though he were a son, and the implication is the son of God, yet he learned obedience to the things he suffered. He had to submit and he had to go through challenges and hardship and suffering, but he passed that because he obeyed what his father said. He stood in obedience time after time, a lifetime of doing that will enable us and equip us to stand in the evil day. You know what? We don't want to count on, well, God, will I'll just cry out for grace and God will help me to stand in that evil day. But I think I can get away with a few times of not standing now. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. We have to stand day after day. Lord, you've told me to do this. And even if we're struggling, Lord, I'm struggling to do this. Help me to stand. And he'll equip us when it really counts. And so we need to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything where I am not standing fully in that obedience that you're calling me to? Lord, show me where I need to correct my stance, where I need to hear from you, where I need to hold on to your word to a greater degree. But if we can do that and endure in that, we'll obtain a victory. I heard a story that was always, I thought it was kind of a pretty powerful story from, I like war stories. You know, and this, this one's, my favorite are World War II, but I, I'm open to World War I stories too. And, and this one was from the First World, World War. And it was a, a battalion that was fighting on the front lines. And it, it was uh, an American battalion that came in. They came later in the war, but they showed up. And they were, this battalion commander was given an order for his battalion to go forward and to take ground and to, and to not give it up. Um, now, looking back at the story, they had a name that was applied to them. It was called the Lost Battalion because <laughs> they went out there, they obeyed orders, but everyone else fell back. And where did that battalion go? Oh, I think they're out there somewhere. They became known as the Lost Battalion. But they were part of an attack where they were told to go out there and take an objective and hold it. Everyone else turned back. They were kind of like uh, Eliezer and Shama out there on their own. And so they were there. The battalion commander told his soldiers, we've been ordered to keep this position until we're relieved. And they did that. And the Germans saw that this was the only battalion there, so they encircled them, surrounded them, and they just pounded them. They threw everything they had at them. Um, they, they viewed them as a threat to their whole line, so to speak, so they really focused on them. Uh, and eventually this battalion was losing men. It was running out of food and ammunition and water. Uh, but they held out for six days till reinforcements came. And of the 700 men who started out, only 194 could walk out. The rest had to be carried or they were uh, casualties. And, and the commander asked the general. I mean, he, he was a little having a little trouble understanding why they had to go through that. The, the, this battalion commander asked his general and said, why... Why were we left alone like that? And the, the general responded. Uh, he said, You're, you did your duty in keeping that position, and it gave us time as an army to move around behind the Germans and to basically flank them, and it forced the Germans to retreat. And actually, uh, 
it had a big effect on the war and how long the war lasted. And it was all because this commander obeyed his orders and stood his ground. And so there's great power in standing in obedience. The enemy cannot overcome that, cannot stand before those who are submitted to God. And one last point, and, and that is, is that when we're performing that task of having done all to stand, we know that at times there's going to be great pressure, great challenges in doing that, right? Like that battalion, that was as intense as you can imagine it in the natural. Uh, thank God this is in the spiritual, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily easy because it's spiritual. Something the Lord spoke to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.12, it says, He that overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. What a wonderful thought. Oh, Lord, I want to be a pillar. I want to be in your temple. But yet, when we think about it, what is a pillar designed to do? It's designed to hold up a roof and sometimes a second level of a building. And that means a lot of pressure being placed on that. That's God's promise to us. <laughs> I'll make you a pillar in my temple if you, can hold on, if you can hold on to me through the pressure, through the seasons where I place a lot of pressure upon you to stand, but you endure. You obtain grace to endure. You know, a, a pillar can't fail because if it fails, great is the destruction <laughs> that, because of that. And so a builder invests a lot of time and money and getting those pillars placed right and making sure they're strong enough that they won't fail because the, if they fail, the building fails. And so God will take time to prepare us and he'll test us to make sure we can hold maybe a little more pressure, a little more, and then a lot more. It kind of goes from there. But it's, it's so that we, we won't crack under the pressure. And if we can hold on now through the preliminary tests, then we'll be able to, to stand when it really matters through the big ones. The test I often think about that applies to us that we, we remember is back in 2017. You guys remember what happened back then? We had a, a lady pass through named Irma and she was a hurricane. And you know that it was a massive storm, the biggest one that we'd seen in a long time since I've been here. But uh, it was headed our way, and we had a lot of people calling us, telling us we need to get out of town. We shouldn't stay. Florida would be wiped out. But we all felt that we should stay. We were trusting God. We felt a prompting in our hearts that that. We needed to, to wait upon him. And thankfully, some other people shared verses, you know, of, that we felt a witness to of God being with us and that we should rest in him. You know, Pastor Tucker shared a verse from Isaiah 30 and verse 7, how we were to, our strength would be to sit still and to wait. But it sure was a lot of pressure from people and from the situation. And, you know, you just turn on the news and we tried not to watch the national news because that was doom and gloom. The local news, they, they, they were here too, so they didn't want to proclaim doom and gloom because they were here. So, you know, it, it was a challenging time, though. 
It was a real time of learning to hear God's voice. Holding on to that, we had to. And, and we saw that storm coming, but at the last moment, it moved track and God preserved us. But it was a learning experience. And God wants to teach us. And He is, he is excellent at designing situations <laughs> that will teach us and test us and instruct us without destroying us. But in that, we have to trust in Him. He wants to prepare us so that we can stand under the pressure that is only increasing and increasing in these days. But He wants to use it to produce something beautiful in our lives. I, I thought it was really neat when I, I was reading about pianos. Now, I can't play the piano worth anything. I can play chopsticks. So there's no beauty that I can make. My wife is an excellent piano player. She can make beautiful music. But do you know, when you tune a piano, I was reading that there are, there's around 11 tons of pressure put on that piano by the, by the strings being tightened. 11 tons of pressure. Now, this is an electric piano, so there's, not, there's no pressure there. It's all, it's all chips, microchips and such. But, you know, you get a, a nice piano. That is a lot of pressure. But it sure does produce a lot of beauty in the right hands. But that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to do a beautiful work as we submit to him, as we stand with him. And having done all, we stand. And so King David and his mighty men are examples to us and role models of people who fought the battles of the Lord, who were warriors. Maybe they wouldn't have recognized the term warriors for Christ, but they really were because they're examples to us. Because they learn to stand for God and His ways. To fight the enemies of the Lord in opposition and not be moved out of that place. Of course, it means at times we have to stand strong to the Word of God, just holding on and not letting go of what He's speaking to us. Making sure we're standing in obedience to it. Staying at our post, fully obeying what God has and enduring the pressure of that. But in so doing, he's preparing us to be pillars in the temple of our God. And pillars are very useful when you're a master builder like the Lord. And he needs a lot of them. And so we all have the potential to be those pillars that are eternally in his temple. I don't know what we'll look like or how that will work out in eternity, but the Lord does. And he's preparing us or giving us that wonderful opportunity because we can have part in upholding the work of his kingdom on earth as we stand for him. And in so doing, we can obtain a fruitful field. Amen. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, the work that you're doing in your kingdom. And Lord, it's our cry that you would help us to follow the, the example and the role model of King David and his mighty men 
Lord, that we'd be willing to be warriors and fight, Lord, to stand in the place that you've ordained us. Lord, we pray that you would make us people of your word, that you would give us a clear sense and understanding of what you're speaking to us in this day and that we'd be faithful to uphold that, to submit to it, Lord, to listen to your voice and follow you wherever you would lead us. Help us to endure. Lord, give us grace to, to go through and, and withstand that pressure. Lord, we, des- we greatly long to be a part of your kingdom and to take part in upholding the work of your kingdom, the work in our church, the work in our fellowship, the work in our community that you're asking us to do. Help us, we pray. Oh, we just look to you. Make us fruitful, Lord, we ask. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.